Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. of that song is truly, I think, it certainly ought to be, the heartbeat of every one of us. I want to be more like you. Mold me, shape me, and help me to be more like you, Lord. Amen. While you're standing, let's uh, join together in the book of James, again, chapter 1. I want to just say this morning that I'm not just teaching from the book of James because there's nothing else to do. Amen. This, these are tremendous truths that I hope are being driven into our heart, countersink them in our spirit today. It's going to be a great day. We're looking forward in our second service to a um, presentation by uh, Chelsea and Mia concerning our Apostolic Youth Corps trip or uh, ministry and the trip that they just most recently returned from. And um, at the end of our service, we're excited that Brother Rayleigh is going to be baptizing Sister Latilia this morning. It's going to be an exciting thing. Amen. God bless you. Amen. We're very, very honored that you're part of our church family. We don't take that for granted. Matter of fact, I'll say that to every one of you. Amen. We're very honored. Very honored. You could be doing many other things, but you chose to call this home and you chose to be here today. We thank you for that. The book of James, chapter 1 and verse 26 The Bible says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. I I don't know. I said earlier in our study as we begin the book of James that the book of James is much like the book of Proverbs in that while there are... uh, Continuing thoughts, there are truly stand-alone passages of Scripture like Proverbs. And when I begin to consider these passages of Scripture, I'm going to tell you what, when I read this, I felt what I think you felt just now. There's something sobering about that. If any among you seem to be religious, but he bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, This man's religion is vain. Amen. God help us today. I want to talk about vain religion. I really do from my heart. And I've asked God sincerely. Amen. Early, early this morning I asked the Lord again. Please help me to speak your word with clarity today. Amen. God we love you and we thank you for the privilege to be in your presence. And I'm asking you to let the anointing of the Holy Ghost touch us and strengthen us today. We love you and magnify your name. You are great and greatly to be praised. We glorify you today and we magnify you today. Let your spirit and presence touch our lives in Jesus' name. 
We're going to give you the glory. We're going to give you the praise in Jesus' name. He's a great God. He's a great God. Okay, you can be seated. The word, um, the word religious, if any man among you seem to be religious, the word religious here is from a Greek word that actually makes its reference and it finds its center in external religious rituals, just kind of, you know, just kind of going through the motions of ritualistic things. It's a ref, it's a direct reference to the what we might say the trappings of religion. It just kind of has overtones and it kind of gives that appearance. This would include routines and ceremonies that would go with most any religion. The Jewish historian Josephus, some of you may be familiar with um, Josephus in his writings. Josephus used the word to describe worship that was going on in the temple of Jerusalem. And if you remember that story, then you maybe have a snapshot of that in your mind. However, it's a different word than what is most commonly used when we are reading through the New Testament. We, we most often see it used in the New Testament as true religion or genuine worship rather than just an action or ceremonies or trappings or pretension. And so uh, this final passage of this first chapter of James serves, I think, an extremely important reminder. I think that almost with any writing, certainly we would consider this to be true perhaps with our own letters. Uh, the, the letters that we write, things that we send, it's important, not that the middle has no content, I'm not suggesting that, but it's important how a letter starts out and it's very important how a letter ends and uh, because we're trying to gain some attention at the beginning of a letter and certainly at the end of a letter we're trying to bring everything that's been said sort of into a bundle or a central thought. And so I think when we get to the beginning of chapters and ending of chapters, it's important that we pay attention, very close attention, and read each word carefully. And so in this final chapter, James has given some very important information, some sobering reminders that a person may be religious without really having religion. You could do things like attend church and attend church activities and do volunteer work, obey certain rules, memorize certain scriptures. You know, we can kind of go through some of these things and, and not have religion at all. We just know enough about it to know what words to insert and those kind of things. And so James is underlining something that's very important for us to understand and that is namely that just having all the right pieces of religion in our life does not make us religious. You can call yourself a Christian and be worlds away from what a Christian really should be. And so we can go out, as you well know, and you can buy certain attire and, and buy things that would complement that attire, but just owning the clothes is not going to make you anything. You can buy a horse and be worlds away from being a cowboy. <laughs> you can buy a tractor, but that won't make you a farmer. 
And the same thing is true with religion. You can show up on Sunday and Wednesday and you can figure out, you know, whether the church claps on beat or off beat. You can kind of figure out the the traditions of the church, the customs of that local assembly. You can memorize the words of the songs. We can kind of get down pat in our minds the flow of what's going to happen and really have nothing of substance that lodges in our heart that changes our life. And so James, in his closing of this first chapter, is just trying to kind of grab us by the neck, amen, and kind of shake us to an awareness. And so we need to be very aware that mere trappings of religion doesn't make us religious. You can dress right, act right. You can memorize certain passages of Scripture, know the words of all the songs, but that really really will not make you what God is wanting us to become. James said, if any, among, if any man among you seems to be religious. This implies that a person that makes a profession of being religious dresses up with all the right stuff, does all the right things, trusting in the trappings of religion, those things that they feel perhaps will please God, and doing those things to only receive some of the blessings of God, but they really have no true worth or value because it's not built on reality. More importantly, the scripture says that we have to be very careful that we do not deceive our own heart. The Bible says, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. Wednesday night I was teaching from just a few passages before this, and I was talking again about the word deception, and I will just repeat what I said Wednesday night. It was true then, it is true now. I hope it is true tomorrow that any word in the scripture that has its root in deception, when I read those words, it has my attention. I want to figure out how to avoid being deceived. I'm being very honest with you about that. And so the Bible says that if we can't bridle our tongue, we deceive our own heart. Amen. We are deceiving ourselves that everything is all right. And so a corrupt and unholy heart is eventually going to be exposed. Now, it takes time sometimes. I've never really figured out that process. God is sovereign and has never felt an obligation to answer a question for me, or perhaps you find yourself in that, in that same position. But, but it will be revealed, a corrupt heart, an unholy heart, eventually, in time, it will expose itself. As a matter of fact, James doesn't really leave that process to question. He doesn't call it to question. And, and, and he tells us exactly what it is that will expose corruption in our heart. Are you ready for this? He says it's going to be corrupt and unholy speech. That's what will give you away. Amen. Not just talking about filthy things or telling dirty jokes, but it's just corrupt speech because you see this is connected to this and this heart is the wellspring and what's here is eventually going to come out here so vain religion is religion having no real substance no real value or no real importance it's empty void useless it's worthless it's religion for show it's religion for the purpose of just trying to impress others around us looks good on the outside but in truth it's just a cover it's a facade that has no real depth whatsoever. I read an article several years ago and, and um, 
uh, was reminded of this in a conversation this week. And I, I don't know this to be true. I'm just basing this off of an article. I did talk to someone that was uh, in the Philippines at this time that confirmed this uh, in their own way. But nevertheless, my point is that many years ago when the Olympics was, uh, was it in Manila? I think in, in, at least in the Philippines, that there's a, a river uh, built there, or a river there, and around that river that the government in the Philippines had built many hotels and all kind of things that because the Olympics were coming to town. And they said many of those hotels and many of those casinos or many of those buildings were just facades. They were just fronts. It was all just for television purposes. And so when it was all said and done, and when the camera crews had loaded up and gone back home, and when everybody had went their way, that what seemed to be real wasn't real at all. It was just a facade. It was just there, uh, uh, just a covering. It just made there to make somebody think something. And so when I think about things like this, my mind goes back to that article read many, many years ago to think that we can build some things in our life and they can look very, very impressive, but it's, it's what's on the inside. Amen. It can look like a hotel, but it's doing you no good if there's no beds there, if there's no, if there's no bathrooms there, if there's no shower facilities there. It's just a facade. And so James is addressing this true religion, the true heart. And so James lists three things in these passages of scripture that he feels indicates true religion. And uh, let's walk through them today. He said, our religion is going to be vain if we don't bridle our tongue. Amen. It will discount everything else, our tongue. We deceive ourselves when we pretend to be religious, but we have no control over this unruly member that James later writes about. Amen. This person's religion isn't genuine, and in time, sooner or later, it will expose their spiritual infidelity. They will expose themselves by their own speech, and here's why. Because you don't have the inner power to bridle the tongue. You can't do that on your own. It takes the working of the Holy Spirit, amen, to help us speak up when we need to speak up and shut up when we need to shut up. And I don't even like that word, but, but to be quiet, to refrain, to stop, to allow the Spirit of God to just cause us. Our speech eventually gives us away. You know, there's a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament where speech was, uh, speech was the indicator of who was real and who was not. It was shibboleth or sibboleth. Some could pronounce it, some couldn't. And so it all boiled down to the speech giving them away. And so we have to be very careful in our speech. It's been estimated that the average person will speak somewhere around 18,000 words in a day. Now, of course, this would vary by occupation. But according to some statistics, up to one-fifth of the average person's life is spent talking. And so anything that you do that much is going to be pretty revealing. And we have to be very, very careful in our speech. Very careful in our speech. 
I've often said and talked to the ministers in our church about things like this, that if you, if you drive for a living, for example, the odds are a little bit greater that you're going to be involved in a vehicular accident because you're just exposing yourself more. That's what you do. You drive for a living, so it may not just be your reckless nature or your careless nature, but you've just upped the ante of, of that happening because of the miles that you may drive in any one given year. And so when you talk for a living... <laughs> somebody was somebody sitting there going, I never thought about it that way. So when you talk for a living, you gotta be careful because the odds are against you. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying is true because you've been witness to many times of me standing here saying, I don't even know how I got here. Because those words, you just, after a while, they have taken you so far off the beaten path. Our speech gives us away. <laughs> Amen. And so when you spend a fifth of your time talking, with all that talking, what you say is a pretty good gauge of what's in your heart. You don't have to be around people very long before you f- figure out where their passions are, what they like to talk about. You, you can meet a stranger and know in just a little while if they're a sports fan, if they like the Gators, if they like the Seminoles, if they like this or that. You, you don't have to be around them very long because our speech gives us away. We talk about the things that we're passionate about. And so, amen, we gotta be very careful because when we talk, it is a gauge of what's in our heart. And so if the, if the tongue is not controlled by God, then it is a sure indicator that if God's not in control of the tongue, he's probably not in control of the heart. Listen again to what Jesus told those self-righteous Pharisees in Matthew 12 and 34. He was pretty plain. He said, O generation of vipers, that Matthew 12, 34, and, and down through verse number 37. He said, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man... Out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give and give account thereof in the day of judgment. That's a pretty sobering scripture right there. Amen. That every idle word men speak, we're going to give an account for in the day of judgment. My grandfather was somewhat uh, of a cut up at times and I I remember hearing my grandmother over and over and over my granddaddy would be cutting up and I'm not talking about being vulgar or anything of that nature but just be cutting up my grandmother Tumman was much more serious in that respect and I've heard her always say so often she said Carl every idle word it's kind of hard to stray very far off the beaten path if you've got a conscience like that (laughs) I'm not just talking about a conscience here and here. I'm talking about a conscience that sits beside you. <laughs> this is, hey, 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 every, every idle word. And so when we think about the power of that scripture, that every idle word men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Oh, Lord, help me to be careful what I say. My, my, help me to be careful what I say. I've met people that said, God, just say whatever's on my heart. I say whatever's on my mind. People don't, and you know, they're proud about that. You not realize that I'm moving along. 
Amen. For by words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Think about that. By thy words you're going to be justified, or by your words you're going to be condemned. <laughs> Judgment. It's a powerful thing. It's a, it's a frightening thing. Someone last night had posted a, a little small clip on uh, on uh, Facebook about a young man who was standing before the judge in traffic court and uh, he had been recorded on one of these automatic cameras at the at the red light and and uh, so he's standing there and and he was very kindly and very gently uh, defending himself and so you know how when we're defending ourselves we generally tilt the table our way <laughs> okay and uh we would really need the rest of you guys to get honest here and get on board. We kind of tilt and didn't say you lie. We just kind of tilted in our way, and and so he's talking about how you know the the the, the light was yellow when he kind of when he was going through it as he remembers that it, it was it, as he was going through it as I remember to it kind of turned red and the judge said I think we have that on film. Can you turn that on? And he tells the man in charge, he said, now when the light turns red, stop the film. And so when the light turned red, (laughs) he was clearly judgment day. Judgment day. Every idle word, somebody's recording this. Somebody's gonna play this back one day. Well, that's not what I said. Well, that's not what I meant. Can you imagine the Lord saying, fire that up just a minute. Let's hear that again. Let's go back. Can we imagine how important it is that our words be filtered by the power of God? And so we need our heart to be filled with the right things so that our mouth is filled with the right things by our words. We are either justified or by our words, we are either condemned. And so we need religion, not to just transform our heart, but we need it to transform our tongue. And so the second point that James makes is that our religion is vain if we do not practice what we profess. If we don't put this into action, that was part of our, uh, our what we talked about Wednesday night. And so one of the, the proper reaction to the word of God is our willingness to, to be obedient and apply that word to our lives. I understand that sometimes that seems to be such a tall order that we just can't perhaps do that in a 24-hour period of time or a 36-hour period of time, but I need to take the word of God and apply it to my life and say, I want to live this, not just look at it, observe it. I want to live this. We gotta do it without selfishness, and we need to do what we do with genuine concern. Amen, we need to look into the lives of other people and be able to empathize if not sympathize with their lives and their situations. Amen. Those that are in great need the that James writes about right here. James said that pure religion is to serve others. Pure religion is to serve others with love and to serve them with compassion. Jesus said in John 13 and verse number 35 By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have loved one to another. Amen. That's the the genuineness of anyone's religion is determined by God's qualifications and by God's standards. Not by my qualifications and standards, but it is determined by God's. And so the greatest spiritual mistake 
of the scribes and the Pharisees and others that opposed the Lord was in that very regard. They had replaced God's standards with their own man-made traditions. Amen. They had replaced what God said with what they thought would be okay. And so it's sobering to me, very sobering what Jesus said to them about this in Matthew 15. He said things like this. You have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. He called them hypocrites. He said that Isaiah correctly prophesied to them as being a people. This is what Isaiah prophesied and Jesus went back to this reference and he said, Isaiah called you a people that would honor me with your lips but their heart is far from me. Amen. It is not about what we do in this house. We can clap on time. We can sing the words of every song We can amen the preacher. We can even weep during the altar service. But what happens when we walk back out of this building? Amen. Amen. What happens when we walk out of this building and back into our our car to go home? I mentioned it Wednesday night. I believe that our families, our wives and our husbands and our children, they need, they deserve the same, they deserve the privilege to be able to live at home with the same people that are on display here at church and other venues. Amen. We need to be the same, the very same. If we are kind and gentle and compassionate with others and then we don't exercise that kindness, that gentleness, nor that passion with our very own, then there is a conflict of interest. And the Lord said, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The very first standard that James used to measure Christianity after the tongue, after the tongue, He said, is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. This is what James said. Now that has a very broad and a very deep meaning. True religion doesn't merely mean to just give a little bit of relief to someone in distress. True religion visits them, takes them under their care, invests themselves into that as much as possible. One writer said of true religion, one, one writer said this, they, that uh, true religion would cause you to go to their house, speak to their heart, sympathize with them in their distress, and then instruct them in divine things. I mean, it's important to understand that there is a motive behind these acts of pure religion. Amen, these things are done for the Lord's sake. Amen, that's so important that we are visiting them for the Lord's sake. We are encouraging them for the Lord's sake. We are meeting and ministering to a need for the Lord's sake, not for our glory, not that somebody could talk about it, boast about it, write about it, but we're doing it for the Lord's sake. True religion that doesn't prove itself by works of charity and mercy is not of God. And so we have to ask ourselves, have we ever practiced this kind of religion? Let me take just a moment and talk about one of the ministries of our church, our bridge ministry. Begin reaching in to deliver God's encouragement. Our bridge ministry is a ministry in our church for families who may be shut in for a, a given period of time, maybe a, 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 maybe just a few weeks or months, but it may be permanently. Amen, we, we want people to be involved in this ministry, to be able to go to their house, not to camp out and move in, but to go to their house and encourage them and strengthen them. And if there's something that needs to be done that we could do while we're there to be able to do that. I understand that we cannot fix everything 
every ill in society. I get that. But we don't want to ignore the ills of society and certainly those of our own house. Amen. We want to be able to encourage them and strengthen them. And, and people that have been involved in this ministry, many of them, if not most of them, have not been preachers and ministers. But they would take just little snippets from the service and say, this is what was taught on or this was what was preached on and, and encourage them. Let's have prayer. They, again, they didn't go to move in and spend the afternoon with them, but just to encourage them and lift them up. Amen, that's true religion. We're gonna do this for the Lord's sake. We're here for the Lord on the Lord's behalf. It seems pretty apparent in scripture that the word visit that's used in this verse means more than just drop by for a chat. Just drop by and, and, and wave, just kind of pass by. One time, uh, he won't mind this, I don't think, but one time we were working here at the church many years ago when Brother Danny was helping us, but he had an appointment that morning and he had to leave and so he was gonna come back by. Well, we never saw him. And so the next day when we were here working, we said, what happened? He said, you're supposed to come back by. He said, well, I came by the church. I didn't see anybody. He said, of course, I was running about 70 when I went by there. <laughs> <laughs> so, I went by their house I didn't see anything that needed to be done <laughs> he, he's my friend he won't mind me using him there but I hope, hope he don't mind me using him there but it carries the idea of helping somebody investing in their life to be there sometimes people need us to sustain them when they can't sustain themselves sometimes We've all been in those situations where we didn't have the energy to even pray for ourselves. Amen. You didn't have the words. You didn't know what to say. Wasn't it nice that somebody could stand beside you and pray? Oh, thank God. Help us today. Help us today. Amen. Carries the idea of not just kind of meandering past the situation, but to get involved. It's used frequently in the New Testament to describe the Lord visiting his people. The Lord visited them in order to strengthen them and encourage them. In speaking of, in speaking of the, the separation of the sheep and the goats in the day of judgment, Jesus used an illustration to describe those that truly belong to him and love to him. And this is what we read in Matthew 25 and 35. Jesus said, For I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty you gave me drink I was a stranger you took me in naked and you clothed me I was sick and you visited me I was in prison and you came to me amen to visit as, as James is using it in this passage amen to visit in a way that is pleasing to the Lord is to meet as best we can as best we can the needs of orphans and widows and and others that are in their distress. And as I said a moment ago, I, I fully understand that we cannot fix every situation. That's obvious to all, but sometimes when we can't fix some things, we just disconnect from all things. And that's not correct either. And so while we can't fix every situation, we need to try to do what we can. Generally, in the New Testament here, in this setting, and so let's just stay within the context of our scripture here, the most needy people in the early church were orphans and widows. Of course, this is before the days of life insurance and, and a, a government that would kind of help in programs to support in some situations. 
And so if you were a widow and, and if you were an orphan, for either one of these groups to get a job was a very difficult thing. And if they had no close kin, if they had nobody to help them, then they were in desperate straits. They needed someone to help them. Amen. We are, we are, we are accustomed to looking at things through the prism of 2017 and through the prism of America and our government and our systems. But, uh, there was nobody there if it wasn't going to be for the church. If, it, if there wasn't somebody to care for them, there was no one to care for them if they didn't have family and things of that nature. But I believe the, the, the context of this scripture, I, I rather, I believe the principle for the context of this scripture still applies to us today. I mean, it's speaking of giving assistance to those that, uh, that, that need help from time to time and sometimes to those that, perhaps even all times, to those that have no way or resource of paying you back. Amen. There's something unique about blessing someone who has no ability to settle that score. And so in these instances, our kindness and our selfless love is a good gauge of true religion, selfless service to others, especially fellow believers is a frequent theme in the New Testament, a very frequent theme. Sometimes we're more worried about uh, someone that may abuse our kindness uh, than we are in trying to really help. And you're looking at a fellow today that's been taken advantage of many, many times. And so I get what I'm talking about. I've, I've lived what I'm talking about. But yet, I'm not gonna be willing to allow a few bad apples to spoil an opportunity to be a blessing to somebody, to help someone. And, and uh, when I do that, I miss real opportunities. I miss true opportunities to help those that really do have a need. Amen. I think the Bible is pretty plain about those that qualify for the kind of help that, that, uh, that James is talking about. Paul c- commanded to honor widows who were widows indeed. There's some clarification there. And so we're not trying to bless people or help people that won't help themselves. If a man won't work, the, the Bible says he's worse than an infidel if he won't provide for his own family. In 1 John chapters, uh, chapter 4, uh, there's several passages of scripture, verses seven through 12. John declares some things that are so vital to our relationship with God and to others. This is what he said in verse 12. Beloved, let, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. 
And so true Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, is manifested from a true heart that's filled with genuine love and concern for somebody else for uh, to help them. And you know, there's some, again, you can't fix, we can't fix some situations, we can't fix every situation. But to be able to do what we can do, sometimes there is such a ministry, we don't talk about it a whole lot, probably not near enough, but I believe there is a true ministry of presence Sometimes just somebody's presence. Amen. Just somebody being there. It's not what they said. It's not anything that they did. It's not all the gifts that they were bearing when they come walking in the door. It has nothing to do with that. It was just them being in the room. I'm going to tell you that I have felt in my heart everything's going to be all right by the ministry of presence. Just because someone was there in the room, there wasn't enough money to fix the situation. Money wouldn't have touched it. There wasn't enough knowledge to fix the situation. This was a God thing. Amen. But God had sent somebody there to minister to us and minister to that need via the ministry of their presence. While they were in the room, peace just seemed to walk in the room with them. Amen. Just there was something, there was so much solidarity in their steps, the ministry, the ministry of presence. And so we need to understand that, that our walk with God is demonstrated by by how we treat others around us. The, our walk with God is demonstrated by how we talk by how we act. It was also manifested by how we love and how we care for those in need. Not by how they love and care for those that they prefer, but those that have need. Amen. Love is to be central. It should be a visible manifestation. And as John makes clear, love for God cannot be separated from the love for others. We can talk about loving the Lord. We haven't even seen him. But we do see one another. We do live in this same world together and especially for those who are in distress. Now, the third and final point here this morning is that our religion is vain when it doesn't create a change in us. We must be changed by the word of God. We must be impacted by the word of God. Let it change us. Let it mold us. Let it change my way of thinking. Let it change my way of my behavior. Let it change my attitude. Let it change me. Amen. I've used a few illustrations through the years. It's only because they're handy and they're applicable to so many people. But if we were ill-tempered and hot-headed before we come to the Lord, we need to let the Spirit of God change those things in us. Amen. Our families shouldn't even recognize us as that same person. Amen. Those ways, they should... They should be changed. If we were negative and cynical, amen, before we come to the Lord, we need to let the Lord change us, change us. Amen, I'm telling you, it doesn't take long for me to be around negative people before I gotta find a window to crawl out of, (laughs) a chimney to scurry up out of. Amen. We live in such a negative world. We live, uh, the world is dark all around us. I'm so thankful for people that are 
positive. I'm not just talking about silliness, but I'm just talking about they've got a positive outlook. I, I was encouraged the other day and talking, just yesterday, talking to a, a friend of mine and, and I was talking about a situation and I was looking at it this way and, 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 and I didn't give him my view of that. I was just kind of looking at it one way and we were talking about a situation and, and just with, with, with clear eyes, he just talked about it from a completely different angle and you know what? I went to bed last night seeing that situation completely different. You just feel like calling somebody like that back and saying thank you. For what? It doesn't matter. Just thank you. Thank you for having clarity of mind and helping me to see a little more clearly through some fog. Amen. Finally, we come to this last portion. The final phrase, James lets us know that our religion is vain if it doesn't change us. And, and, and the scripture says to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, that's a big challenge. But it can be done. Pure religion is willing to apply the word of God to our life without moral or spiritual compromise. The phrase to keep indicates a regular, continuous action. You, gotta, you, gotta, you don't just bathe one time. You, don't, you gotta just keep going back again and again to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. In other words, keeping oneself unstained by the world is a perpetual obligation. I've gotta do that today and I'm gonna have to do that tomorrow. I'm gonna have to go ahead and plan now. Tuesday, that's gotta be a part of my, my mindset. Wednesday, it's something that I gotta do continually, continually. I mean, we ought to be, you know, I was noticing, It's of course, it's almost everywhere now, but when they first put them in, I think in the new VA hospital in Gainesville is where I first noticed it, when they opened that facility that at every door, at every, in the hallway, at every room door, there were those little hand sanitizing stations there on the wall, and somebody's catching on here. And so... It made me aware. I was always careful to wash my hands when I got downstairs before I left, uh, just as a general rule of thumb. But I appreciated that somebody says, you know what, you ought to take care of this now. And so when you back up and look down those hallways, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Pretty common sight in most hospitals now. But you look down through there, and it's a reminder it's a reminder. It's a reminder. It's a, it's a reminder. There's, there's stuff here. You probably don't, don't walk out with this on your hands. It's a reminder that you better take care of this and take care of this. And, and, and you know what? Sometimes you get a little shot of that and you walk down about four or five more rooms. I think, you know, I think I'll get one more of those before I go. Just just to be on the safe side, maybe just one more. I mean, just let me get one more. Could I say that if we could just view our lives with those spiritual sanitation stations down through the, our, our, the hallway of our individual world and lives, if we could say, I gotta take care of this. I gotta take care of this. There's things here that I can take home to my family. There's attitudes that I could, I could, Press into the heart of my children. Amen. There's mindsets, there's spirits, and there's, there's, uh, there's poor attitudes that I could press into the heart of my companion. I better, wait one more of those before I go. I better wash my heart. I better wash my mind. Why? Why? I've got to keep myself unspotted from the world. Praise God. In the deepest portion of our heart, we should desire to speak and to do only things that are holy pure, loving, honest, truthful, upright. Amen. Things that are uncorrupted and unstained by the world in the deepest part of our heart. 
we ought to want to be clean. Amen. I'm going to ask our musicians to come, if you will. On the other hand, a person who does not have compassion for others and a person who is not concerned about living righteously and a person whose satisfaction is found only in his sin cannot be a true disciple or a true child of God because they cannot keep themselves unspotted from the world. The word world has the basic meaning of order or arrangement. Most often the word is used to represent the fallen nature of man in general. It also represents its ungodly spiritual systems of philosophy and morals and values. And, and, and I said a few Sundays ago that the fabric, the moral fabric of our nation is not just simply torn. No. We're living in a very ungodly hour. A very ungodly hour. Morals and values. The biblical term for world and worldliness are referenced to the world systems. The world is, is referenced to the way that fallen humanity thinks and acts and rationalizes things. It's, it's indicative of, a, of, of tarnished by sin and kind of wrapped up in self-indulgence. That seems to be where we are, the opposite of everything that James tells us we should be. 1 John 2 and 15. Let's read this together, verses 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If you love the world, you can't love God. So love God. The love of God and the love of the world are totally incompatible. There's no such thing as straddling the fence. There's no such thing as living on the edge. Not in reality. You can't be sort of faithful. Right? Our companions when we leave home can't just kind of trust us. We can't just sort of trust our children. We have to be sold out, sold out. So here it is, by admonishing us to distance ourselves from the things of the world, James and John are talking about the love of and the allegiance to things that are ungodly and come between man and God. And so I've got to be very careful understanding that this final indicator of genuine Christianity that James talks about Amen. It would pull those worldly things away from us, replacing the spiritual things. Amen. You know what? I just have to realize. Let me just say this from my heart, from my heart. Don't just try to live whatever's lobbed over this pulpit. Don't just wait for it to come from here 
before you ever apply it to your heart and to your life and to your home. Amen. There needs to be some things in our life, the Holy Spirit in our life, indwelling in our life, the power of God living in our life that just helps us to understand, you know what, what I'm doing right now is not pleasing to God. I haven't heard anybody preach about this. I haven't heard anybody sing about this, mention this, maybe ever or maybe in months or maybe in years, but you know what? This is not pleasing to God, and so I'm gonna set that down. Amen. Pure religion, pure religion. Amen. If a person's religion is in vain, the scripture said, amen. Or the Bible says if a man seems to be religious but doesn't bridle his tongue, Receives his own heart. This man's religion is vain. What a scary thing. A scary thing. We must make sure that we are right and that we are right with God. He's, a, he's been so good to us. Amen. Well, I'll say he's been so good to me. That is for sure. I, I, I know he's been good to you as well. Amen. And I want to I do what's pleasing in, in his sight. I want to please him. That's the main thing. That is the main thing. Let's stand, can we? Amen. I wonder if we would just lift our hands together and our voices and could we ask the Lord, please God, strengthen us by your grace here today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.